When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Through 25 seasons, 4,561 episodes, I believe The Oprah Winfrey Show was one of the greatest classrooms in the world. I really never thought of it that way. The aha moments, the breakthroughs, the LOLs, the connections, the occasional ugly cry. I miss him so terribly. I miss him every single minute. The moments that mattered. Eye-opening life lessons. Never allow them to take you somewhere else. I'm bringing them back. It's time to open the vault. I've personally chosen these classic episodes to share with you again. Every single person you ever will meet shares that common desire. They want to know, do you see me? Do you hear me? Does what I say mean anything to you? You are listening to The Oprah Winfrey Show, the podcast. Dr. Phil is back. He's here today with an exclusive, a harrowing story about a young woman who had been hiding a dark family secret until she reached out for help on his show. Melissa's painful past led her to seek help from Dr. Phil. She was one of 14 people handpicked to be a part of his Get Real retreat. It would prove to be an intense three-day, in-your-face therapy session for all involved. Who wants to talk? Okay, everybody back out of here. I'll shut this whole thing down if these people don't get ready. One by one, they struggle to reveal their secrets. I drink 30 to 40 beers a day. I'm freaking angry. I don't know how to control it. I've been raped by a white man. Then it was Melissa's turn. Okay, everybody have a seat. Except Melissa. I don't know why I'm protecting people that hurt me. Who's hurting you? My father's hurt me. My mother's hurt me. All right, tell us about your father. My father's a serial killer. I feel guilty for what my father's done. Growing up, he hurt me by telling me things I shouldn't know. So what did he tell you that children shouldn't hear? He would tell me stories of how he could kill someone and get away with it. And then he would tell me in detail how he would hypothetically do that. One thing that he told me is that he could put a body underneath his truck and drag it from one state to another, and it would be gone by the next state, and it'd be unrecognizable to police. That happened to someone. And I have to live with that. I have to deal with that reality, that these things that are stories, nightmare stories, that are really true stories. And this is hard for me to say on television because real people are gonna know about what I've done. You didn't do anything. You have nothing to be ashamed of. You didn't kill anybody. Melissa was a sophomore in high school when her father was sentenced to life in prison. He confessed to torturing and murdering at least eight women, eight women. She kept this secret for 15 years, and Melissa is here today. Welcome. Thank you. Yeah. 
Thank was you. that the first time that you had made a public declaration of what had happened there? It in, was. In that moment with Phil? My friends had no idea th that I had this past with a father like this. They just saw me as a mother, a wife. They didn't know who my father was. So did you go to the Get Real retreat uh, with Phil it, with the intention that you were going to bring that out? No, I actually went on the Get Real Retreat to find out if I should still have a relationship with my father. I know that sounds absurd now, but mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I was receiving letters and I felt so guilty as a daughter. Why was I not wanting to visit him? Why was mm -hmm. I not responding to him? How did it feel standing there to open up uh, in such a public way? It was terrifying. I was so used to keeping my emotions bottled up, my feelings, my my thoughts to myself. Yeah, well, you had to be ready. Yes. What is interesting to me, Phil, every person in the Get Real Retreat is carrying this, you know, burden from their past, one more difficult than the other, but Melissa stands up and says, my father was a serial killer. Everybody else who's gone through whatever is like, whoa, <laughs> you win. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, a whole different ball. And game. what is amazing about you is that you take that in, hadn't heard it before, and then go with it. You know, I think when someone like Melissa steps up, and I, I, I try to put myself in her shoes and think, what would it be like if my father had done these things and I walked around with that shame and guilt? And, and I know I'm gonna have to be strong to pull her through that, and that's, and that's why I did that, and that's why I stepped up. We had, to, we had to declare something, day one, minute one, you didn't do anything wrong. You didn't kill anybody, you didn't hurt anybody, you didn't hide anything. You have no complicity in this whatsoever. That was a breakthrough moment for you, was it? It was, and I appreciated the, how he responded to me. Yeah. It snapped me into that moment. Yeah. And it, he, was, he was honest, it was real. I didn't do anything, but yet here I was feeling guilt. So tell me, why do you now think that you carried that guilt? Why did you feel that you were responsible? For a, he was my father and he didn't have a conscience. He didn't show remorse for the victims. I took it upon myself to feel that burden, that guilt for him. Mm -hmm. And I didn't realize that I did that. I just mm -hmm. gradually took that upon myself throughout the years. So who knew before you, 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 you revealed this at the retreat, who knew? My husband knew, I told them before we got married. Mm -hmm. And my best friend from high school knew and that's about it, very that's few, it. yeah. Melissa's father's uh, killing spree began in January of 1990 when Melissa was just 10 years old, which is so interesting when you, you read her book because we just, you don't think of serial killers as having children and going home and you know playing with their children and taking them trick-or-treating right. and doing all those things. Listen to his chilling account of how he killed his first victim. I thought she was pretty, I thought she was cute. I thought things were kind of clicking. I was getting ready to unbutton her pants. She said, well, just hurry up and get it over with. She's hungry. I slapped her and uh, she hit me back and I unloaded on her. I, I slugged her and I didn't stop slugging her. I slugged her 10, 15 times. I had browned her her neck and held her tight. I destroyed her. Keith Jesperson later confessed that he raped the young woman both before and after her death, then dumped her body in a ditch. They couldn't catch me because I was elusive. 
I'm a truck driver. Between 1990 and 1995, he admitted to killing eight women over the span of five states. He sent an anonymous letter to a local newspaper <laughs> describing his savage murders in grisly detail. I gave him locations of the bodies, where they would have been found, where they've been killed. He signed his letter with this symbol, which earned him the nickname, the Happy Face Killer. One victim was a young mother of two-year-old twins. After killing her, Jesperson confessed, he strapped her lifeless body to the bottom of his truck and dragged it for miles. His victims were strangers, making it difficult for police to trace him to the murders. But then police found the body of a woman named Julie, Jesperson's eighth victim and his own girlfriend. This time, the trail of evidence led directly to him. After a lengthy interrogation, Jesperson not only confessed to Julie's murder, but to seven others. Do I feel bad about Julie? Uh, no, not really. He's currently serving life in prison without the possibility of parole. I've killed people. I know I will die eventually. Human life has no value to me. Your life has no value to me. To hear your father say, human life has no value to me, your life has no value to me. It's hard. It's hard because I have memories of him playing with me, picking me up, uh, spinning me around. And then to hear those words, to see that he was a stone cold killer, I can't fuse the two together. It was difficult to mm -hmm. fuse the two together. Mm -hmm. You know, Oprah, you and I have talked about over the years that kids have this unique ability to figure out why problems are their fault. Mm -hmm. And when you're like right. 10 years old and you look back, you think, you know, should I have seen this? Should I have said something? And it's just amazing how they fill in the gaps to their own detriment. And that's something that Melissa had to wrestle with so much. Not only that, though, uh, you had uh, some kind of, you, you talk about this in Shattered Silence. You, talk, you, you had um, intuitive thoughts that something was going on. I did. I, when around my father, I'd get this sick feeling. It was so random. His appearances were so random to our hometown to visit us. He would never call or tell us. But I'd have this instinct that my father was coming. It was like a form of anxiety. Mm -hmm. I would start, this anxiety would start building and building. And I would tell my mom, I know dad's coming. He's going to visit us. Mm -hmm. But when I was around him, I felt this intense uh, stomach-turning feeling. When's the last time you spoke to him? In 2005. Mm -hmm. And you went to see him with your child? I did. I went to the prison to go visit him. I, I wanted him to meet my husband. I wanted him to meet his grandkids. I was still struggling with this guilt that I was his daughter. And do I have an obligation to him as his daughter to keep in contact with him? Wow. So I went to the prison with my kids, thinking that it would be safe, that it'd be okay. I saw that they had a child center there. I thought it'd be okay. I went into the prison with my family, and my little girl started clinging to my leg. And she was so scared. And I felt regret that I was taking my kids to, uh, to a prison to see my father, who I was just thinking as father, not serial killer. I, I didn't put the dark side to the father's side.
Melissa Moore was just 15 years old when her father confessed to murdering eight women. She later learned he was known as the happy face serial killer. Looking back, she says, she remembers seeing glimpses of his evil side. I was just a young child when he took my kittens from me. He took the little tails and pinned them on the clothesline, and I watched them scratching at each other and pawing at each other, trying to get down, and I couldn't stop it. Melissa says her father would also kill stray animals. He put the cat in a burn barrel in our garage, and uh, he grabbed gasoline and poured it in the barrel. And I could hear the cat screaming. As I got older, I started putting two and two together. Melissa's here today. She has a book called Shattered Silence that Dr. Phil encouraged her to write. And I want Dr. Phil to explain a few things for us. What she was saying, I went to the prison to see my father with my children. I wanted my father to meet my children. And, you know, the whole thing is, is this is, it is a mechanism of denial. It's like you want there to be this, this man. You want there to be this influence. You, you want it to be okay. And it's like, do I owe my children the, the opportunity to know their grandfather? But the point is, he sacrificed that right. He sacrificed that role. This is resident evil. And let me tell you something about sociopaths. You can put sociopaths in therapy. You can put them in therapy in prison for 20 years. And basically, uh, most of the time, they don't get better. In fact, they get worse because they learn what the therapist wants to hear, and they manipulate that. He's not going to get better. He, he is as cold-blooded a killer today as he was the last time he dumped a body by the side of the road. And, and all of the wanting and wishing that you can do isn't going to change that. And the fact that you feel like you are his daughter, he sacrificed the role of father. He sacrificed the role of grandfather. And you've got to wrap your mind around that, around that and say, just wanting it to be so is just not true. The best thing in the world you can do is keep your children away from evil, and that man is evil. It's just that simple. And you've got to know that, right? I do know that. It took me about a year after meeting you to get my head around that. The denial was so thick. I, I just could see the memories that we had as him as my father. I, I couldn't see the actions, the heinous actions that he committed. I just couldn't wrap my head around it. It was just too big for me. Yeah, but you, you knew about all of the crimes. You were aware of, of all eight of the crimes. I was aware of them, but to me, it seemed almost like a fictional story. And, and, I, and I hate to tell you this, but even the times that you try to ferret out of your memory when you were with him and we was doing this or that, that was an impure connection. Yeah. I'll promise you there was never a day in this man's life that he had an altruistic, loving, nurturing interaction with you. I'm sorry to tell you that, but you have to accept that and get closure on it. This, yeah. this is not a force you want in your life. It is not a force you want in your children's life. Thank God for prisons, and thank God he will never be paroled. Yes. Yeah. Because even during the time that he was nice to you or being kind to you, he was still doing these heinous things. And right. you have no idea what he was thinking at the moments he had his hands on you.
Yeah. That is impure yeah. time, I'm telling yeah. you. Impure. So when you went to see him with your children, you were going specifically to, 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 to like have a family day? That was your purpose? My purpose was my husband never met him. And I guess I was kind of thinking, oh, your dad's supposed to meet your husband. You know, I was thinking in terms of traditional family. I was thinking, I know, I know, I know I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I know I can laugh at it now, but at the time, I thought, you know, not, why was I asking for a serial killer to approve my husband? I, don't, I mean, that seems absurd now. But, you have a good uh, imagination, right? Uh, I do. Okay, I want you to imagine that I've just grabbed you and shaken you till your head's just <laughs> flopping around. That way I don't actually have to do it. Okay. Okay. <laughs> okay. And yeah. Now as you're sitting there kind of bobbing around, what I'm trying to do is shake out of you that there is ever a time that you're going to be able to reconstruct your family tree in a healthy way. There's no time that he is going to be saved. There's no time that... He's going to change in a way that it would be okay for your children to be around him. If he ever gets out of prison, he will kill again. So should she even be in contact with Absolutely her zero, zip, nada, nyet, never. You do not ever, if you, I would not. Like not even communicating with him. Zero. Zero. I would block mail. I would not allow mail to come to you. I would ask the prison to not allow him to send letters to you, uh, if w I, I, at no time is there anything constructive that can happen for you, your family, or your children by being in contact with this evil individual. Don't do it. There, uh, he will, I promise you, he can victimize you from prison. He can put, he sent yeah. you a birthday card with a naked, naked woman, woman and said, this is how your husband sees you. That is sick. Stop that dialogue. It's over. Don't do it yeah. ever again, well, well, ever. Could I be any more clear? I yeah. mean, I'm saying don't ever have never, another conversation. Never, nipped, not, never, never. Do you ever think he would have harmed you? Do you think he would have harmed you? I do. The last time I saw my father, I was around 16 years old. It was before he was in prison. It's my last visit I had with him. We went to a restaurant, and we were having a normal father-daughter conversation. And Because then, he and your mother split when you were how Yeah, old? They, they just split when I was 10 years old. 10. Yes. Then the conversation turned to, Melissa, I have something to tell you, but you'll, you'll tell the police. And that instinct, this, this stomach-turning feeling kicked that in. That you would always get when you were around get, him. Yeah, yeah. That it popped up heavy, the heaviest I've ever felt. So I went to the restroom to try to calm it down. I felt this urge that I was going to throw up. I felt so sick. And, uh, and I went back to the booth. I sat down, and we resumed normal conversation. I ate my breakfast. So he never told you? He never told me. He never told you because you didn't want him to tell you? Right. Yeah. If he had, let me, let me tell you, and listen, the reason I'm so direct with you and other people is I, I only go where I'm invited. I don't just sure. stop cars on the street and tell people truths. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you, you've asked for this. Had he completed that conversation, you would not be here today. Right. You would have never made it home alive. And that's what you have to understand. Why do you say that, Phil? Because had he, he, see, he had a pattern. He would tell her things as though they were hypotheticals, which we now know were, in fact, direct accounts of him bragging about murders he had committed. So when he told her about dragging someone, yes. that he could drag someone under that's his right. truck. And, and he would, would tell you stories and present them as hypotheticals. You say, right. I could kill someone and get away with it. Had he told you that, you would have never made it home alive.
Right. He would have had to kill her to protect himself. Do you believe that? Absolutely. Absolutely. I believe it with all my heart. That he would have killed you? That he would have killed me. Where's your mother in all this? Did she comfort you? Did she, did she reach out to you? And... Not the way I would want to be comforted. Maybe she, my excuse is maybe she didn't know how to handle it. Maybe it's something she didn't know how to deal with. Because well, it's somebody I... else that's hurt you that you make excuses for. Because I don't want to know the reality is that they didn't care about me. But I know she does. She has to. But the truth is maybe she doesn't. Her actions don't tell me that. But maybe I'm asking too much. Maybe I want what she doesn't know how to give. Doesn't make it wrong. It doesn't make it wrong to need it. It doesn't make it wrong to want it. And in case nobody has ever just said it straight out plain to you, you got a really deal. I did. Well, there is no parenting book in the world that explains how to tell your children their father is a serial killer. Uh, Melissa says, she writes about this in her book, Shattered Silence. In her family, it was handled with secrecy and shame. I remember the day my mother told us that our father was in jail. I heard my mother calling for all three of us kids to get together, and she came down the stairs and said, I have something to tell you. And she said, your father is in jail. And I could tell it took a lot for her to say that. And my brother said, for what? And she said, for murder. And my heart just sank and I felt my knees going weak. I wanted someone to hold me. I wanted someone to tell me it's going to be okay. And there wasn't anybody there to say that. In the past 15 years, we haven't talked much about it. My mother and I wouldn't discuss it because it's so painful. It was such a disgrace to our family. There's a wall of silence between my mother and I. Well, Melissa's mother, uh, Rose, is here. And you created that wall of silence. Yes, I did. Um, you know, I was really going through, uh, I was paralyzed with fear and pain. You know, you, you want the best for your children. And then to tell them that your father's a murderer. Mm -hmm. And there's no resources out there for you to say, you know, go find a book, how to tell your kids that your father's a killer. Mm -hmm. There's no internet. And so I had to find my own way to deal with the pain. And I think dealing with my own pain, <clears throat> I wasn't there for my kids. Mm -hmm. I mean, I went through the automatic process mm -hmm. of being a mother. Did you know your husband was the animal that he is? I, I won't even say animal, animal, because I love animals, so animal is too you know, um, the term. I didn't. I really didn't. You didn't? Did you suspect? I had, you know, it wasn't Well, you so... can't suspect that a right. person's a serial killer, but did you, did you suspect, uh, what is the word you said, uh, innate evil? Yeah, I mean, he's, he's just, it's a resident evil. Resident him. evil. And, you know, and here's the thing. For a normal person, you can't wrap your mind around this. You can't even go there to anticipate or empathetically understand how somebody could do it. So it's hard. It's hard to imagine it. It's hard to even... That's why we're blind to it, because our mind doesn't have the capacity to, to contemplate that kind of... What evil. a sociopath would do. That's right. Yeah. Like, like we're saying this, like, did you miss mothering school the day they went over telling your kids that your father is a horrible monster killer? Nobody ever prepared you for that. Mm -hmm. 
And I'm not so sure, Oprah, I am not so sure that less was not better at the time this was unraveling because you were so young and you have to kind of tell children things at an age-appropriate way, what they're able to process. Mm -hmm. and, and you probably... But, but, but let me interrupt you here. Where were you when... Where were you when your husband was killing her kittens? I was in the house and um, he, he came in. He, Melissa came in the house and she was crying. And I said, what's wrong? And she said, well, Dad just killed a cat. And he had walked in, and his arms were all scratched because the cat had, had yeah. scratched him. Uh -huh. And I talked to him, and he said that the cat went wild in the basement and that, you know, he killed it. And see, in that episode just alone wasn't enough to say, I knew that was kind of weird, but I didn't go, oh, he's a serial killer. Did you know he was hanging the cat out on the line by the tail? You know, I didn't recall that. I don't know if the kids told me, and I was shocked. Mm -hmm. I, I, just, I just didn't, I don't remember that. But people killing animals is a first sign, is it not? Well, I, I know as a professional, and probably a lot of people know now because there's more dialogue about it, torturing and killing animals is a drop dead deal breaker. That is a precursor to much more violence, much more, and not all people who do the, like, not all sociopaths are serial killers, but probably most serial killers are sociopaths. sociopaths yeah. And when you see animal torture and, and killing, if, if you have a child that's doing this, you got a problem right now. Don't deny that. Deal with it right now before it escalates. I mean, that could have and should have been a huge warning sign to you at the time, which you know now. Absolutely. But at the time, you didn't. I wish okay. you did. I wish you had had that information. Nineteen years ago, Melissa's father, Keith Jesperson, let one victim get away. She was just 21 when she says she ran into the killer in a grocery store parking lot while holding her four-month-old baby. Could have been any one of you. I was 21 years old at the time. It was 10 o'clock at night. I kind of noticed someone was watching me, the man standing up against his car, and he walked up and started talking to me. Don says Keith Jesperson seemed like a nice guy, so they decided to go for a ride in his car. It was right about here. We made a left and went in there and parked. So we were just sitting there um, having a discussion, and, you know, I had mentioned something about going back, and, and, you know, he just was pretending like he didn't hear anything I really had to say. And um, I looked over and saw him masturbating, and I, I got really freaked out at that point, and it was like I just knew something was really wrong. Don told him to take her home. Instead, he drove deeper into the woods. And so I knew I was in deep trouble. I went for the door, and he grabbed my neck. He had my face just um, smashed up against the window. He had my, my head, you know, so far over that I could feel it strained. I could feel it popping. If he went just a little farther, I mean, there would have been nothing more. It would have been broken. My son fell off of my lap and onto the floorboard underneath his feet. He was stomping on my son. I told him anything he wanted to hear. You know, please, please, you know, I'll do whatever you want if you just let me get my baby. His pants were open and he was trying to force, you know, me to do oral copulation on him. And I wasn't quite sure if he was gonna kill me, but I knew he was gonna rape me. And I was, I was stuck. 
with the pleading and begging and promising that I wouldn't tell anybody, um, he did what I, he did the unthinkable, he started the car. And he backed out and just drove off onto the road. He pulled the car over to the side of the road and I, I opened the door and I got out of the car and I just went at a dead run. Don is the one that got away. Melissa and Don have talked on the phone since last year, but have never met in person until today. Come on out, Don. Welcome you. So, Dawn, I'm sure that triggered a lot for you. Yeah, um, I knew that we were two women who had suffered an enormous amount of pain from the same man, and there was a level of understanding that only she would have for the situation, and I reached out to her. Mm -hmm. And you all have been talking ever since. Yeah. Yeah. Why do you think he let you get away? The baby, maybe. Um, the mm -hmm. screaming from the floorboard. Mm -hmm. um, Another he would have had to kill you and the baby. He would have had to yeah. kill spoil me the fantasy. Baby. Yeah, spoil the fantasy. Spoiled his fantasy. The noise from the baby spoiled the fantasy. Yeah. So, mm. you know, I think it's you know something that you said that I just have to talk about, and I've said, you don't know how many of these are out there. I mean, there could be fifty more of these. Yeah. And I don't know why you got in that car or where you were going, but you don't ever want to do that. I mean, I, I want to use your story to say that to every woman in America. Don't, obviously, don't get in a stranger's car and do not go to a second location because yeah, there's only one reason they want to take you away and isolate you even more. Very dangerous. Well, he seemed like a very um, respectable person. He, um, we were talking in the parking lot and he had mentioned coming down from Washington and having a, a birthday party with his child. There was no um, intimidation there for me. Of course, I was leery at the point when I got into the car. Nobody's respectable yeah. enough to get, get in a car with. And yeah, and this is what everybody needs to know. Sociopaths are respectable. That's what they do. That's they're the whole idea. Such, they're so smooth. They, that's what makes them effective. Yeah, that's right. Did your father ever tell you about Don, the one that got away? He did. I, I was just he a did. young. He did. He, I was really young. I heard the name. I didn't hear what happened, the event that Don just described. I heard her name, and so when I first got her email, I was like, it's Dawn, it's true, she exists. When you heard that he had been arrested and you know, later convicted, did you know immediately that's the man? I was contacted by a detective in Blythe, California. They were actually trying to um, solve a case. Um, they had a Jane Doe there, and so uh, the detective was asking me a lot of questions about victims that he had attacked after me which I didn't have any information because he went almost a year and a half after my attack before he went on to kill again. There was some legal proceedings he went through um, on my end, which I think sat him down for a little while and made him think about the perfect victim to take from then on out. Women he thought no one would miss. He was pretty much in the evolution stage when I met him, and thank God. Because you were the second one, yeah. he says. Second one, he says. You know, Dr. Phil, what do we learn from all of this? Well, you know, final thought is you, you can't be in denial. I mean, if your instinct tells you something's wrong, it's probably wrong. That's why you have it. If, exactly. At 10 years old, you had instincts telling you something is wrong here, and you were so right. You've got to trust that intuition. Yes, but I just want to ask you this, Don. Did you ever get in another car with a stranger after that? No. Yeah. No. Learned your lesson well. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you, Don. Thank you. Thank you, Rose.
And thank you, Melissa. Melissa's book is called Shattered Silence, The Untold Story of a Serial Killer's Daughter. And dude, thank you. Well, <laughs> thanks for having me back. <laughs>